If you like what you hear, come and visit me at youtube.com slash tiptoe the tank and see this content in all its glory. When Blessed Adowa of the Golden Hand died, her daughter took the throne. Tahana, Blessed Tahana. At her coronation, she was met with awe and excitement from her people, bareheaded, barehanded, garbed simply. She walked amongst her people that day, in respect, walking behind the new empress, were her alchemists, carrying a litter holding seven crystal orbs. For a time, all was well within the kingdom, until Empress Tihana became ill, carrying in her an illness shared by her mother, though there is hope for the blessed empress. Through infusions of vitae, a compound powerful enough to rebind bone and flesh, the disease is staved off. However, Single doses will not stop her deterioration. This will be required for all the rest of her life. But she is the beloved Empress Tihana. Of course, this will be done for her. Ancient knowledge on the potency of Vitae is not known, not in the time of Empresses before Tihana. However, after consistent escalations in her treatments with the Vitae, Tihana is deemed the Eternal One. Her life and health far extended. This Vitae infusion is to be offered to the populace, albeit in a far lesser form, but this comes with logistical complications. Vitae is harvested life energy of those lesser beings of the world meant to serve the Empress and her people, the life energy taken during extreme suffering and torment. How would they go about obtaining the huge quantity needed for the Empress and her people? Tihana's alchemists began their experimentation. More effective methods were developed to incite harvestable vitae from stock, along with some missteps. A hunting ground was built where victims of the process would be subjected to stalking and terror from beings called harvesters. The alchemists found that the buildup of fear needed to be slow. Should the subjects be allowed to run, to stampede, and expend their energy too quickly, well, it makes for a poor harvest. But the biggest problem of them all, stock can only be harvested for a short duration. They can't repeat the process of stalking and torture. The victims get desensitized. They lose hope. They give in. Their energy doesn't expel like the first time, not even the second time, nor the third. But when a man, or a being, called Ayandra, the apostate, begs for sanctuary within the city, everything changes for the alchemists. Ayandra was fleeing the enkindled fortress for crimes not revealed, but he promised to prove his worth to the alchemists if they would just grant him safety amongst them, so they did. They gave Ayandra a chance, and what Ayandra revealed to them was a decoction made of flour of emmerich, a liquid that would erase the memory of anyone who drank it. Quite like Daniel's Damascus Rose Elixir, no? Well, hold on to that thought. The Emmerich liquid gave the alchemists a new opportunity. They could reuse the same stock over and over, harvest fresh vitae from them again and again. They would no longer need to expand their growing network of harvesting factories, and for years and years, Chief Alchemist Tamaku and Ayandra the Apostate worked together designing new methods of harvesting. 
their memory wipe system became memory manipulation, taking away physical horror and instead implanting their best memories of hope and joy and then immediately inducing the worst fears and most painful experiences of that individual. Gone was the need for a hunting ground. Special machinery was created, a pod of sorts, to hold stock while the memory wiping and inducing process was repeated. Physical pain no longer inflicted, where they would be harvested, where they would never leave. Ayanja's contributions could not be overstated. That is, until the truth of Ayanja's crimes were revealed. They were so heinous that Ayandra was exiled from the world. Ayandra is a familiar character to us. Do you know who he is? Do you know who he became? Yes, Alexander of Brennenburg. But we've already visited Alexander's story, haven't we? The Vitae extraction system eventually reached equilibrium across the city, sustaining the Empress and meeting the demands of the populace. And this whole process took many, many years, so long that the origins of Tahana's illness were referred to as ancient knowledge. The Empress came to long for something, though, a new part of herself, a child. Not out of necessity for an heir to carry on her bloodline, she was eternal, after all, immortal. But to quote Tihana herself, None of them understand. This is not about politics or securing a future. This is not for the Empire. This is for me. Just for me. But it was found that the disease that had afflicted the Empress so long ago had not simply gone away. The damage done before her Vitae infusion sessions still remained and had, in fact, entirely withered away her chances at ever conceiving. The Vitae does not cure. It elongates life and mends simple things like bones and flesh, but it does not reconstruct something permanently impacted before treatment begins. And this is a tragedy for the Empress, which none in her council or court seemed to understand. Close to this time, referred to as the Eighth Calling, Chief Alchemist Tamaku began experimenting with the crystal orbs of Tahana, using them to create gates of teleportation with their fuel source being Vitae. Oh my, isn't this familiar? But Tamaku's early experiments summoned something from beyond their world a monolithic shadowy creature that scarred the world with its passing, leaving in its wake a living pulsating flesh. A great gate was opened, fueled and stabilized by Vitae. And presumably, the orbs were sent through, away from this otherworldly place, so the threat of the shadow could no longer endanger the land. They ended up on Earth, of course, the new home of Alexander. We know the origins of two within Algeria, one within Calais in France, one in the jungles of Mexico, one in Aldstadt near Brennenburg, and another was hidden away in the otherworldly place within an alchemist's chambers, but hmm, it seems that I've missed one, haven't I? There are some amongst the alchemists 
who wished to end the reign of the Eternal Empress. A select few, but it's enough to make a change. One apprentice named Kita creates a formula which will arouse the effects of the shadow, namely create the living pulsating red flesh it leaves in its wake. He and a few comrades decide to inject this formula into the city's vitae system, which will theoretically destroy it all, ending the perpetual suffering and horrors taking place within the city, and ending the life of the Eternal Empress. But this is not what happens. The Great Gate releases an unimaginable force of energy when they do this, tearing the other world apart. Corruption seeps from the hole left in the world, turning all it touches to ash and stone, corrupting living beings into monstrous wraiths. The factories still churn out their seas of vitae to fuel the Empress. The plan failed. In response, a plan was devised to directly insert the corrupted formula into the vitae feeds of the Empress, but all the alchemists and apprentices who endeavored to carry out these plans fell before they were enacted. We now go someplace new but familiar. Do you remember Herbert? Professor Herbert? Remember when his assistant Daniel went into an antechamber of a tomb all by himself and came out with a broken orb? Those were good times, right? Back in 1839. Well, we know that he sent Daniel away and continued his search of the tomb. We know he found a second orb, but there's so much more to the story and fate of Professor Herbert. Herbert's undertaking of this expedition was actually advised against by Alexander of Brennenburg. He was instead pushed forward by the writings of Johann Weyer and a compulsion to uncover the secrets of the gates between worlds. We know Weyer was the first man to make the trip into the gate 300 years prior, that he had knowledge to do so safely, and that he left Earth to travel the great beyond, but Professor Herbert was intent on being dubbed the first man to do so, at least the first known man. He was hell-bent on taking that glory, he was convinced that unlocking the secrets of the orbs and the gates would lead him to the birthplace of mankind, which he called Eden. He fancied it to be a wondrous place of unimaginable beauty and new resources. He arrived with the expectations of finding an orb, but he had no vitae and no traveler's locket, that device that is so necessary to open the portals between worlds once you initially pass through. Alexander told him of this, he told him of its necessity, but Herbert didn't listen. The fool. He was viciously uneducated in one simple thing. These gates were not gates around Earth. Herbert believed that they'd take him to untouched places of Brazil, the Arctic deeps, someplace within our realm. The fool. Within the tomb of Tin Hanan, the great queen, the mother of us all, there was no body. I mean, Tin Hanan, the great queen? Tahana, the eternal empress? Hmm? As Herbert and his crew went deeper into the tomb, they came across alien constructs similar to what we know to exist in Alexander's home world, the world of Tahana. 
as though during the great sundering of that world, maybe parts of it were thrown into Earth. He even found canisters of Vitae, and then he found the second orb. Untrained in the handling of the orb, Herbert awoke the shadowy beast. Out of desperation, Herbert put the orb and the Vitae fuel into the gate chamber that they'd excavated, opening a portal to a new place. Herbert leapt through and found himself in a decaying and destroyed place between Earth and the Empire of Tahana, with no Traveler's Locket. And without a Traveler's Locket, he was unable to find a way to reopen a gate back to Earth, or anywhere other than the place that he landed. He was stranded, and he died here, alone and far from home. Now the game begins, with a tragic plane crash bringing down the plane Cassandra. They originally set off from Algiers, a place of history within this vast tale. It was here that Herbert obtained the map, leading him to the tomb of Tin Hanan back in 1839, a map in the hands of a man named Farage, which originally belonged to presumably Johann Weir or Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa. The Cassandra lands suspiciously close to the very dig site of Herbert and Daniel, with the dead buried and injured left behind in a cave system, Tasi Trianon and a handful of other able-bodied survivors set off to find help. However, as they go, horrors begin to appear within the caves. They hear sounds of a creature nearby. The heat and the winds seem to taunt them. They're unable to be off guard. Coming across an abandoned French fortress, the team is faced with a horrific being, something team member Leon described as having a broken face, split in two, a ghost, or maybe he was dreaming. But it is not a dream. The leader of the group, a man named Hank, is grievously injured during the attack. A woman named Yasmin called it a ghoul, a flesh-eating monster from desert legend. Two of the team members depart the group, a man named Alex unable to cope with the insanity of what he just witnessed, and his lover Robert who will not let him tread the desert alone. You see, at this fortress, in 1929, French soldiers and excavators arrived to continue a dig into a cistern within the mountains. It's a bit of a Balrog situation. They went too deep, and something came to the surface, this monster. Then a madness set in with a local tribe with affiliations to the goddess Tin Hanan. They set upon the fortress and brutally murdered every person within it. Just a fun bit of side story for you. But back to our main crew. Coming to a peaceful oasis and while fighting about whether Hank should be left behind to die there, a figure of a glowing light appears from a shrine for Tin Hanan. Or was it Tahanu? Or Tahana? Really, they're all the same being. The figure approaches the group and offers to save them all. She gives Tasi, our protagonist, a traveler's locket, takes them to a special place, and offers them salvation if Tasi will just give her something. You see, Tasi is three months pregnant, and Empress Tahana 
is unable to have offspring. Tehana wants Tasi to stay with her until the baby is born, to give her the child, and in return, all the injured and lost crew will be saved and delivered to safety. Tehana will not kill the baby, Tehana will raise the child as her own in the other world. Tehana knows that Tasi once had another child that perished from a genetic degenerative disease at a very young age. Tehana knows that Tasi's unborn child will suffer the same fate. If Tasi gives her the baby, then everyone wins. Everyone still living gets to go home. The baby will be raised with Vitae that can keep her healthy and Tasi can start again with her husband who was critically injured back in the cave system. But Tasi refuses. She already lost one baby, one little girl. She cannot lose another. Enraged at her refusal and being unwilling to give up, Tihana infects their minds. The further they slide into madness and fear, the more inhuman they become. They become as the split-faced monster encountered at the fortress. But all this is to gain control over Tasi's choice. Tasi is the target. One by one, her former comrades turn into the beasts they so fear as they travel through otherworldly areas and the desert, attacking and hunting one another, pushing each other farther and farther into madness. Until the Empress intervenes through events and circumstances not shown to us. The Empress wipes Tassi's memory and places her back at the site of the Cassandra, and lets Tassi relive horror anew as she retraces her steps where former companions and hordes of devils from victims of the past now roam. Tihana says herself, I had no choice but to make you into something that I could control. She will break her down into a pliable, controllable beast, turn her into a harvester, make her desperate for salvation, and then Tihana will claim the child as her own. And in the end, all are lost to Tasi. The crew is annihilated, all but a few passing complete blame upon her for her choice to deny the Empress her child. Her husband dies alone, unsure of what became of his wife. Tasi relives the memory of losing her first child to slow disease, but in the end, does she break? Does she give away her child? Does she fight back and escape? Does she scorch earth and burn it all down? Tasi learns of the sabotage planned by the few alchemists who were intent on ending the reign of the Eternal Empress. What will she do with this knowledge? In the end, who will she serve? There's so much more horror and heartache to be told and experienced within Rebirth. What will you uncover in the darkness?